Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast that gets behind the scenes with the members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today we're delving into the world of percussion. How does it all work back there? I'm glad to say we are here in person and here backstage at Glindbourne. The LPO is playing tonight. I've been resident orchestra for 58 years, as I'm really looking forward to catching the performance later. And there might be some little noises and people speaking because we really are backstage right near to the sets so please excuse us if you hear any of that. I'm joined by timpanist Simon Carrington and percussionist Karen Hutt who will be telling me just what it's like to hit things for a living. Welcome back Simon and welcome Karen. Hi. Hello Yolanda, lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you both. Karen, first of all, easiest question of all today I think, what is the highlight of being a percussionist? Well, we get to play in all the best bits of the uh, music. The big moments, we're always there. So that's definitely a highlight. Absolutely. And Simon, what's the best bit for you about being a timpanist? Probably uh, doing a silly little thing with the timpani sticks, putting them in my eyes and and then pretending to be an alien by waggling them around. (laughs) So Karen, as you're new to LPO offstage, please introduce yourself and tell us what your role is in the LPO. Well, I'm a freelance percussionist, so I play sometimes with the LPO and other orchestras in London and around. And yeah, so there's normally three members of the percussion section here. At the moment, there's only two. And so extra players are needed to come in for various programmes. And that's when I and other fellow freelancers come in and join the forces. And I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but what instruments do you play? At Glyndebourne, yes. um, well, pretty much a bit of everything this time. So there's bass drum, cymbals, glockenspiel, xylophone, triangle, tambourine, bit of snare drum and some offstage stuff as well. Ooh, oh, I look so, forward to yeah. getting into that. <laughs> so a bit different from a timpanist's role. Um, how do you compare and contrast, Simon, the role of a percussionist and a timpanist? I suppose generally there is a bit more for the timpani to do, not necessarily in the repertoire that we're doing at the moment, but generally across the repertoire, there is timpani in more of the repertoire. Mm. So from an earlier point in, in history, going back to... Baroque times and before then through 18th, 19th century into 20th century and now 21st, of course, where actually the timpani's role is now probably lesser than the percussion composers seem to favour a much wider palette of colour and mm. sounds and um, and use you know, a whole huge array of percussion instruments these days and, and timpani less so. So when you're actually playing in any particular piece, if you're all there together, I think it's probably fair to say in most of the repertoire, apart from that which I've just mentioned, that you're you're usually playing a bit more than the percussion section. You have to sort of shout over every now and then and wait them up. (laughs) (laughs) That's obviously not true, but... um... (laughs) And in ways then, do you work together? Do you ever... Are you always on timpani or do you ever have to lend a hand if there are multiple instruments to play or does that never happen? It doesn't never happen, but very, very occasionally I, um, I'm happy to uh, lend a hand here and there. From my seat, I refuse to cross the house. Oh, No, I don't refuse. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
yeah, yeah. exactly. Bring it to me on a silver salver. Uh, <laughs> well, usually it is a silver salver, like a symbol or something that I have to play. Sometimes I have to actually put that on my drums. That's a favoured device of composers these days, actually, to put a suspended symbol, say, on a timpani and push the pedal up and down so it creates this kind of effect. Really? Was that good? That oh, was very good. Outside. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's fascinating. Wow. Um, but not a lot. You know, it's extremely minimal. There's usually plenty for me to do. To do, absolutely. Just on the tims. And you spoke about the different instruments that you play, Karen. Do you ever turn up to a rehearsal or to play a piece and it's an instrument you've never played before? Because, I mean, percussion really is endless, is it? I mean, there's one side of it where you get, in contemporary pieces especially... There's a lot written for things that aren't normally instruments, I suppose. So, like foil and ping pong balls, saucepans, Newspaper. various kitchen implements. The, and most, uh, the most recent one, which was a, a new one on me in my all my years, all my years. in the <laughs> profession, I've never been instructed to play, and I had to do this as well. Another example of a bit of doubling. Yeah, um, always welcome had to play some bubble wrap. How did you play bubble wrap? Oh, how would you do, play it? Was it to pop it in time? No, no, there was no, everyone was expecting it. Really? I think there were, were there three or four of us having to play it dotted around the back of the orchestra and so to create a kind of quadraphonic effect, I suppose. I think I just think I was there rubs the gently together. Oh, were you not? I, no. I beg your pardon. No, no. Um, <laughs> so, so just tell me the technique then, because, well, I mean, you, my it, version of playing bubble wrap is really satisfying is popping. Yeah. You can't but, um, resist it. In fact, I obviously couldn't resist it. <laughs> <laughs> At certain points during the rehearsal, it had to be done. But, um, no, I think we just had to... We were instructed to rub it gently together, almost imperceptibly, which... Um, we did. Right. It was almost imperceptible. And did you did you feel it enhancing the music? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's a wink here for the listeners. <laughs> no. I, I I have to be honest and say that Please the do. philosophical effect of it was slightly or metaphorical even was lost on me, but I'm sure it all made sense within the overall context of the piece so absolutely you know hey bring it on this is what i wanted to ask actually because how do you learn to play the instruments i mean is it all written into the score exactly how you're meant to play it or are you free to experiment if somebody brings you some kitchen spoons it's normally a mixture of the both often there'll be some instructions in the part which can be helpful or unhelpful and then you just have to find a way of making it work you know so that it comes across the orchestra in the way that's needed what's the strangest thing aside from bubble wrap that you've played there was one piece by a composer called gerald barry where the percussionist is called upon to smash 24 plates in time so it's like grab smash grab smash grab smash with like goggles on that's pretty cool that is fascinating i like that (laughs) and fun right yeah pretty good fun. fun i think everyone wanted to do that but the principal got to do it so this was one of my questions actually because i mean when you look at the percussion setup with an orchestra i mean there's a lot to do how do you divvy up the jobs and who is it the principal that tells people what to do or can you choose what you want to do? How do? Who plays what and how? That's the principal's job to work out the section. 
they'll divvy the parts up I suppose according to people's strengths as well and what they think they're going to be happiest playing and also according to the layout of the stage and the program so that might determine who plays what according to what's happening next in the program so to if you've got a lot of modern mu- you know modern music mm-hmm. uh, on the same program then there can be so many say three two or three complicated setups that are all different and it would take you 20 minutes probably to reset if you just had the same group of instruments then to actually set them in an order where they're accessible to everyone that needs to play them would take a long time so there's there's often some duplication of instruments across the back of the stage sometimes people do have to move around but i think it's um fair to say it's not really desirable to to have to do that there's quite a few pitfalls and there's not much room back there of course either so you'll you'll find maybe a a player you'll have a, a sort of station yeah. of your instruments for the for the duration of, of, a, of a half of a concert so you've got minimal movements and mm. and that sort of thing and talk to me about timpani when do you get to tune and do you tune because i know usually the percussion is set up for you right or is that not true they don't set up for oh, me no oh no <laughs> oh i've just given somebody a job so so you come in and you will set up your own percussion yeah okay and so who tunes the timpani well, I tune them. You do? try to, yeah. Before the orchestra comes in, or do you get a chance to do it when the orchestra's tuning up as well? Well, you're doing it whilst they're tuning up, but you're doing it, as with every other instrument, you're doing it on a continual basis all the way through a piece of music because things change. You have to access, you know, most notes that are available on the timps over the course of a... Again, depending on the repertoire, but over the course of a concert, particularly in, in contemporary music... So you're constantly retuning to different notes across the, um, say, four, five, or sometimes six drums for contemporary music, covering a range of, of an octave. That's very common now for a composer to write over that. So and these instruments are, you know, arranged around you. So you've got to carefully tune the big one right round to your, in my case, my left, and then around and three four five six all the way up up there so you've got a range of about yeah over over two octaves actually wow. and um yeah you're constantly finding different notes all the way through a piece which is challenging particularly when you've got lots of changes of of meter within a piece because to keep your eyes on uh, your, your attention is going around to a drum when you have to retune it because you have to physically move around there to put your foot on the pedal to retune it and you're taking your eyes off the music and or the conductor and to come back to be able to tune and then come back to the music when there's lots of frights in two eight three eight seven eight and then over here and do the same thing and then look up and still know where you are is a, a challenge it doesn't get easier as you get older i have to say <laughs> I just want to dig a little bit deeper for the layman in me just to really understand this. So during a piece, you will retune a drum, but how do you do that without affecting the piece? Because obviously you'd have to play it. Well, you need to get to know your own instruments. So you, there is a gauge that goes up and down on, on the side of the drum. You can set the indices on the gauge and there's a needle that will point. As uh, you tighten the skin, basically. As you tighten the skin, yeah. the, the needle will will, will go up and, and you'll get the notes that you need on that drum. But it's not strictly, it can't be strictly accurate because the things are changing all the time and it, it's a guide. 
but it's a starting point so that at least in contemporary music you've got somewhere to start and then you but you often you can go around to you know set my f sharp up there and you go around and it's kind of oh that's way sharp so you've got to tune as you're playing and then no but i can't get it too much you know i've got to get down here now and get a b flat and that's out as well it's sort of it's a nightmare Yolanda it's fascinating I wish the listeners could see you I mean we've got legs and arms moving Simon's really like physically showing me how this happens it looks exhausting it is exhausting (laughs) well I'm glad that you shared that with us next time we see you in action we will be really caring and really understanding about what's happening it's it's also um, you know during a piece where there's there's only say two notes to play say in, in classical repertoire and you've got your C and G there for instance C doesn't stay, uh, you know, it's not the same C for everything. So you start in C major, and then the piece might go into F major in the middle, and then you've, you've got a slightly different C mm. there, and you're doing your tempering the tuning. If, I'm, if this isn't, doesn't sound too no, pretentious, I am fascinating. you yep. can't, you just leave it, well, that's my C and G for the whole piece, and I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I think of it much like the, um, the trombone section, who are, I mean, all instruments are doing it, mm particularly the winds I suppose do it with their by lipping notes up and down trumpets and and horns and the trombones actually do that as well as with their slides you see them constantly making tiny adjustments um, to make sure that their notes are in tune and they all sound and that the notes ring together so yes. you, you've got all that going on obviously not many trombones in a, in a classical piece that I've just mentioned but it does happen wow. when you play a note very loudly or if the orchestra is playing loudly, you need a higher C than if you're playing quietly, that kind of thing. So you're constantly going up and down the whole time. It's a lifetime's um, kind of study <laughs> just trying to play, play one note in tune, especially for me. A question that I will also ask you, Karen, but are you playing your personal timpani all the time or are you playing instruments that may have been there at the hall or well very generously the orchestra agreed to buy the drums that i wanted when i joined so they belong to the orchestra and they are moved around by the orchestra and insured by the orchestra so i'm really incredibly lucky that i don't have to worry about any of that i i just turn up the lovely laura and her team will make sure that they're on the, the stage we communicate well before the relevant day about which drums I need, how many, and and all of that sort of thing. And um, sometimes there are considerations about where on the stage they're going to go. Yeah. But I'm playing effectively my instruments because absolutely occasionally other you. people play and them. Do you but, have some yeah. at home? No, I don't. Oh, so you no, but I would do if I had a choice. Yeah. And a, a room big enough. But if I really need to practice something a lot of it is just is physical because I'm, I'm playing you know we're playing pretty much every day anyway but if there's something particularly tough coming up then I'll, I'll go into um, Royal Academy of Music where I teach and, and put some practice in there. And Karen do you have your own set of percussion at home and sometimes bring them with you that you'd like to play or are they instruments that are provided? Yeah I've got some of my own stuff at home kind of mostly in the loft at the moment (laughs) Um, but all the orchestras have their own set of percussion gear so you can turn up and use that and I mean occasionally you might bring your own like snare drum in or tambourine or something or your own sticks if you felt more comfortable you know playing that for a particular piece but generally you just use what's there and 
And do you get to play much at home then? You spoke about having your instruments up in the loft. Do you get to practice at home or is it sort of similar to Simon? It's when you're in rehearsal. I mean, I don't practice much at home these days. Um, It's just too difficult. But I mean, I think most of us, if you have a practice pad, which is just like a bit of rubber that you can just do snare drum stuff on, which is really good for just keeping... Some paradiddles. Yeah, exactly. Keeping your paradiddles going. (laughs) And then, yeah, it's just coming in early to have access to the instruments to do some practice if you need to or in between rehearsals and concerts. There's some storerooms at the Festival Hall which you can go and practice in. You can end up practising in some fairly grotty places. (laughs) I had a vibraphone in the boiler room at ENO before and stuff like that because there's just nowhere to go. It's really, it can be really difficult. And uh, we speak a lot here on LPR stage about sort of coming into the orchestra and, and how you get here. What's auditions like for a percussionist? Ooh, yeah, depends which job you're going for, but generally, whether it's um, a principal job or further down the line, there'll be a weighting of what people want to hear, but you'll need to play on all the different groups of instruments. So you'll have to show that you can cover all the tune percussion, so there'll be some nasty xylophone repertoire and glockenspiel repertoire to play then similarly on snare drum you'll have to play the majority of the audition would be on those groups of instruments but then you know we would also be expected to play cymbals as well tambourine toys as we call it tambourine bit of triangle Dare I mention it? I was about to mention it after this, so yeah, do mention it. Absolutely, you know, the triangle is heard because this, you know, can get quite complicated to play at times against common understanding. That can be the case. (laughs) And sometimes for a percussion job, you'd, you'd have to play a little bit of timpani as well, depending on what the job was. You can generally start where you want, so you might want to start on the snare drum or the tune before you go and play cymbals or something. There might be a choice as well, like a choice of cymbals to play or a choice of tambourines, so you can pick which one you want according to the excerpt. And Big yeah. shout out to colleagues in the BBC Welsh Symphony Orchestra, or the BBC Now, as it is now known. Very early audition I did years and years ago there, they had all those various instruments set up in a line. And at the end of the line, was a little golf mat and a bucket <laughs> and, a, and a pitching wedge with one of those airflow balls and yeah. you had to try and chip the ball into the bucket because that was obviously a, and was that the a crucial... Yeah. Well, who knows? Oh, I didn't get the job, so... You didn't get it. It was a nice, very nice touch, I thought. Very clever, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, put some bubble wrap on the table, see what they do with it. Exactly. I think that's, that's the way to go, really. Where do you stop? Where do you stop? Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing with the timpani, do you have different sort of mallets for different pieces of repertoire? And do you carry all of those with you? Oh, how long have you got? I've got I mean, a long time. Come on, give it to me. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> sticks yeah it's uh, many and varied and again a, a sort of a lifetime collecting and trying different things i mean without boring you absolutely stupid i mean you need obviously an, a range of sticks from very soft to make big loud sounds in the orchestra that that really draw the maximum amount of tone out of the instrument all the way through to much harder sticks that are more articulate Mm -hmm. and draw a shallower sound that projects much more 
quickly. I mean, you always have to pick a stick that is going to suit the sound of the orchestra at that particular time for a particular note. Mm. And you'll see people changing sticks all the time. I mean, I try not to do it too much because it just gets confusing and a bit you dangerous. You've still got to tune the drums. Are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot going uh, on, isn't yeah. there? Uh, it's just one sort of pitfall after in the mind. It's a minefield, Yolanda. But yeah, into harder sticks, into eventually into woods. We've got selection of uh, leather kind of covered sticks and that sort of thing. But every stick, make every timpanist will use a different maker because they're a not as many makers as there are timpanists, but they'll have their own ideas according to which drums they play, what sort of hall they play in, what the what their bass repertoire is, and also just how they think of the instrument, how what they want to hear. Mm. So it's the same as any other instrument. So if that we, sounds a more personal journey then. Do you carry your sticks so. with you? Or do you, oh, you, you hunt them out and, and purchase them? They yourself? belong to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and... Yeah. Um, I've got a, a stick box that travels around with, with the temps. Oh, when, not a bag, a box. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> On wheels. And again, Laura will make sure that's that's always there. And it's it's full of sticks and all sorts of other paraphernalia that's just kind of accumulated over many years, or most of it which is completely useless. But um, <laughs> good to have but that's just that's a fraction of the sticks that I actually own. I mean there are How many there. sticks do you think you have? Oh, no idea. I mean hundreds of pairs. Oh wow. <laughs> I guess it depends on the room, it depends on the repertoire, it depends on how big the orchestra is. I mean, what is it like, Karen, playing in the pit here in Glyndebourne versus being out on the stage? You might have a a piece of bubble wrap to move about. Um, how do you get it heard through the pit? Yeah, it does feel very different because also you've got like a low ceiling above you and um, you're a lot more cut off because we're on the opposite side to Simon now. So we're very detached from you, aren't we here? And yeah. um, we've got like the horns right there and then that's kind of it. You're like right next to the back desk of the violins. Um, so you're hearing lots of different things to what you would normally hear yeah. it's a chain of events isn't it because i mean when you're playing say tootsie passages you can only in the pit in this pit anyway really hear the people closest to you so if i'm playing with the brass whilst i'm playing and they're playing i can just hear them and me basically and i can see bows moving elsewhere but you generally can't hear them but you know that the trumpets can hear the wind that can hear the string so it all kind of links together somehow but across the back from one side to the other things I'm sure I sound late to the to that side of the pit a lot of the time and what I hear actually doesn't sound late at all just needs to sound together as it goes forward rather than from side to side yeah yeah no that makes good sense we mentioned this instrument (laughs) earlier on the triangle is this an instrument that sort of puts percussionists into a cold sweat is that this is what I'm hearing on the grapevine, <laughs> Karen. At certain points, it can be quite terrifying. If Why you have to... Well, if there's some some bits in the repertoire where if you have to play very, very quietly and um, often, like, a long, quiet roll is very difficult to do because the movement has to be so tiny and so controlled and, and sustained and you're hitting a piece of hard metal with a piece of hard metal. There's not any room for... Uh, there's, no <laughs> give, there's no give at all, is there? No forgiveness, and there's just contact that's absolutely immediate. Yeah, so... Yeah, and that's the other thing as well. If you, You'll often be 
say playing like very quietly at the end of a harp gliss or something so you've got to get that exactly at the point and uh, or if you're playing with the entry of the winds they obviously have a breath to take but so you kind of end up breathing even though you're just going ting but that <laughs> it helps. can it can completely ruin everything in the wrong hands for all the reasons that Karen's mentioned, it much maligns the poor little triangle. <laughs> there it is just being a bit of geometry, you know. Yes. Yeah. Of course, people just see that. And, well, that's the, yeah. It's okay. what they played at school. Yeah. It's what they played at school. And obviously, a percussion player has to learn all of the other instruments. So, um, honestly, I look over sometimes, or I don't look over, but I think... Often, God, that triangle, that's really, really lovely. They've just got a lovely touch on the instrument. And we've got a very kind of subtle, I think, um, approach to it in, in this country that's in some, some of our other orchestras around the world. They like to hold it right up in the air and it really sort of clangs. <laughs> and, yes. and not a particular fan of that, I have to say. And so does the triangle get technical in, in the sense of the different metal it could be made of, the size of it? the hammer that you're oh. using does it does it get technical like that <laughs> no you're asking but i really think we should move on no i'm interested <laughs> this is really good this is all about percussion i'm going deeper tell me <laughs> it had, like triangles have really taken off haven't they in the last oh, yeah. <laughs> yes i couldn't tell you what the different materials are but the different yeah. shapes and sizes i mean the size of the triangle does matter Yolanda and um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you I might start a triangle collection I'm really interested yeah. but in an obvious yeah. way like yeah. like the difference between your soprano and your this is why and, your, and your bass yes. saxophone, saxophone yeah. obviously they make it they make different sounds yeah. as, the, as they get bigger but the actual material the thickness of the triangle people and I don't think Karen or I are two of them, but could talk about this. Well, Karen, are you one of them? Hours and hours. Oh, no. <laughs> I can tell you now that she's I mean, I, I, I want to hear, like, are there triangle mutes? Are there, like, lacquered triangles, golden-plated oh, yeah. oh, triangles? Yeah. I mean, does it yeah. make a difference to the sound? That, I think that's a whole podcast in itself. Well, then... There's some other stations <laughs> to come. You're going to see, see Andy later, so uh, yeah. definitely he's will, very good at talking about ask him. things like that. Yeah. Um, Karen, are there any other instruments that cause that same sort of, I guess, anxiety as the triangle for you when you see it laid out there? Well, for me personally, the tambourine is one I always get a bit nervous about. Again, if you have to do really long, quiet roles, there's like Shostakovich cello concerto. The cellist is playing a cadenza and it's accompanied by a pianissimo tambourine roll that goes on forever and ever. And that's Horrible. I mean, I don't know if everyone gets worried about that, but nice. for me, that's... Uh... And so with that in mind, are you thinking about a particular type of tambourine that you would use that really helps you? I think you, you just get a small one. <laughs> Logic would dictate, wouldn't it, that you get a small one and, and sort of play it relatively loudly. I remember playing that years and years ago, and you've risked it. It's a nervous twitch, effectively, isn't well, it? Well, I wish like this a, was being filmed a, now, because, I mean, this, I the, the hand <laughs> movements that are happening here, uh, just imagine tipping your hand back and forth very, yeah, very quickly. Yeah, if you tip, tip it back and forth very quickly, so and then the wrist after a while... Like that as well now, it's back and forth. <laughs> but it starts to go... That's not, like, I mean, it can't, you can't You start looking it. at it, and it looks like somebody else's hand eventually. Yeah. Like, it's like oh, the and then it starts to feel like somebody else's hand. Exactly. 
I have a quick fire question to, to wrap up here. What's your top tip to either a percussionist, timpanist, whatever it is that you would give Simon Fest? That would be learn as much timpani repertoire as you as you can. Learn the pieces in their entirety. Don't look at books that just have little excerpts in that's absolutely hopeless if you want to become a timpanist. It's fine for, it's convenient for for auditions, but you need to learn orchestral repertoire as, as deeply as you can. And also play the piano or another instrument. All the, there are notable exceptions, but generally people who, who play timpani professionally have come with, uh, with a background on another instrument. So keep other instruments going as well, particularly the piano, if mm. that's your thing. Really good. Thank you. And Karen? Yeah, and playing the piano is a good thing with percussion as well, with the, the tune stuff. But I think if you're already playing and coming into sections in various percussion sections, then um, you've just got to be um, part of the team, I suppose, and be a nice person to be around, to work with and to listen to what's going on around you. That's probably one of the most important things, as it is for every section I guess but particularly with percussion because you're often migrating to other sections in the orchestras the music's happening like you might be playing with the harps and celeste at some point and then you'll be according to what instrument you're playing and then you'll be with another section at another point and being aware of all that that's going on around you just work really hard on basic techniques yeah basics absolutely crucial I think I'm ready brilliant (laughs) thank you both so much it's always a pleasure to speak to you lovely to meet you Karen thank you lovely to see you again well that's it for now from LPO offstage with me Yolanda Brown thanks so much to Simon Carrington and Karen Hart for such a great insight into the percussion section of the orchestra please get in touch using the hashtag offstagepod and thank you for listening I'll be here soon for the next episode of LPO offstage so I'll see you then (laughs) 